Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. It's such an honor and fun to, to hear and see you worship and praise God together. My name's Andy. If uh, you worship with your eyes closed, you may not have noticed, but I play bass with the band. I'm with the band. I also lead a, a men's uh, Bible study Thursday night and uh, part of the support team. So if you need anything, just tap me on the shoulder. But I'd like to read the word with you today. We're starting in, uh, in John chapter 17. So if you can uh, open it up both here as well as uh, folks that are home. John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have had with you before the world existed. That's the word. Praise be to God. A little treasure hunt this morning. Found the table. We're all good. It's like, where's all my stuff? Do you know how to surf? Do you know how to play golf? Both of things I know how to do, and I don't spend enough time doing, as I found out uh, on the golf course yesterday. My wrist really still hurts. Um, let's go to God in prayer, and we'll jump in. God, we thank you today that we can know you, that you continue to Reveal yourself to us that, God, your word guides us, that your son became flesh and dwelt among us, that your spirit resides in the believer. Lord, and the hope of unbelievers is that they can know you and have you in them, empowering them and revealing yourself to them. Lord, there's many things on our minds and pressing on our hearts. We pray you'd remove them, allow us to Think of you, have our eyes clear to see you, ears open to hear you, and hearts, Lord, continually transformed to beat for the things that your heart beats for. In Jesus' name, amen. More importantly, we're in church. The question maybe you thought I was going to start out with is, do you know God? If you know how to surf, you know how to play golf, those are, those are well and, and good activities, but Really, to enjoy them, you have to, to spend time doing them. Otherwise, your clubs are broken and your surfboard might be broken as well as your body. Like, there's some, some cost at, at stake there. But knowing God, there's, there's no quick manual, quick track that you could read and, oh, yeah, now I know God. We can meet for coffee when I need him. When I need some financial advice, I'll just call God up or hey, I have some relational troubles, I'll just open the Bible to wherever and, and grab something, and I'm sure it's, it's great, and that's, that's what God's there for. No, God showed up before anything did, and God always was, always is, and, and somehow God chose out of anybody and everybody, Abraham, and said, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make my whole promise to you in the world is that through your line, Jesus is going to come. And so Satan said, game on. Now we know who we're attacking, the bloodline. We're going to try and stop this. And so this whole time, the whole point 
is for God to reveal, God to draw, God to explain, expose, and in this relationship setting. We can know how to do things, and we can excel at them to a certain degree by doing them, but we can only know people, your spouse or a friend, for instance, unless you spend time with them. And the Hebrew idea, the word of knowing is an experience, an, an intimate experience, knowing the depth and the, and the breadth of that individual, and, and knowing God is this experience. It's not just a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge too, and, and eventually it impacts you, right? There's a saying, your, your friends are your future. Those who are influencing you, you're going to start looking like, acting like. You see this in, in the teen years, right? All of a sudden, it's like, well, you never were into that, and you never dressed like that. All of a sudden, oh, that's who your friends are. You talk like, look like, act like them. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks when we get to growing. There's a word some smart people looked at out of the Greek and sanctification. It's that growth. It's all it is. It's just you look like, think like, and act like Jesus. And the, the tension here is when you know God, the sanctification just happens. And when there's not a growth happening, it's like, well, it's time out. Do you know God? And have you fully known him or are there areas where you're saying, no, I'm not going to know that about God. I'm not going to believe that about God. I'll believe some aspects, but not all of who God is which then calls into question, do you know him at all? I mean, how many of you are like, yeah, I know my wife loves to cook and clean, but that's all I know about it. Like, that's all she does. That's just all I acknowledge her to do. I don't want to acknowledge anything about her, but just that. So just cook and clean will we'll be good, right? Like, she would not be okay with that. And guys, similarly, yeah, I know my husband's great on fixing the cars, yard work. He's great, a mechanic and, yard, and groundskeeper. That's all he does. That's all I acknowledge about who he is. I know him to be that. Anything else? Yep, sorry, I don't know you. I just know those things about you. Don't cross the line. So God wants us to know all of him and how it impacts us, how it grows us and, and sends us out. And we see this outlined here in John 17. Um, this is one of those passages that we come to every year, and it's one of those passages that we, we were influenced so heavily by. It's our mission statement. We exist, the others would experience a new life through Christ, by helping them know God, grow in relationship with God and others, and then go out. So the three aspects of this chapter are verses 1 through 5. Today we're going to look at them as well as next week, where Jesus prays for himself, that to know Jesus, to know God is eternal life. And then the grow aspect, to look like, think like, act like Jesus, he prays, verses 6 through 9, for his apostles, for those who believe in him. And then verses 20 through 26, he prays, for the church and the world, that as we go out, the church gathered is also the church scattered during the week and, and meeting in life groups or sharing and serving, that the world would know God through the church scattered. So the first point we see today is knowing God's name is eternal life, verses one through three. What hopefully stood out to you right away, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. It's always been about the glory of God, but Jesus says, I need you to glorify me so I might glorify you. I need you to glorify me so that I might glorify you. So um, obviously today you probably spend time, breakfast, getting ready, coffee, like, hey, you know, kids, I'm going to glorify you so you can glorify me. Let's, that's how you talk, right? You just, hey, 
husband, I'm going to glorify you. It's going to be great. So just glorify. Like, where in the world do we get this kind of prayer language, and, and how often do we pray like that? This word glory. Jesus is so fixated on it and wants to show us and show God, hey, it's all about your name. And this word glory really is, is defined as impressing upon or convincing or persuading someone in a positive way. So he's saying, hey God, help people in a positive way see me so that I can help people in a positive way see you. Because everything in history has been revealing that we are easily influenced to worship or look after humans and praise them for the good things they do, which is so silly and dumb. Because you think about it, there's not a whole lot that we do. And if we do one good thing at one time, just give it a minute or a second, and there's going to be a stupid decision or a dumb thing or a bad thing where we hurt someone or hurt ourselves. And so there's no reason to ever persuade someone to go, hey, look at that guy, look at that girl. Because give them a minute, and you're going to go, don't, don't look over there. Don't persuade. I'm going to persuade you not to look at them or follow their example because they're sinful, and they're going to fail. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm perfect, you're perfect, I'm God, you're God. Glorify me so I can glorify you. So the first thing, know God's name is eternal life, verses 1 through 3. So Jesus is obviously saying, I'm God, glorify me so that I can glorify you. In verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The name, Jesus, that we would know Jesus' name. And we know Jesus' name, that that's the one true God that God sent, God the Father sent the Son to die in our place. The gospel says he died in sinner's place because God made us to have a relationship with him. And we sinned, sin separates us from God, so God the Father sent the Son, died on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose from the grave, and the Holy Spirit seals that salvation. Ephesians 1, you can read about it. It's a great reminder. And we see here, to know the name is eternal life. Because the name of someone represents the character, the inner person. That's why in Exodus 3.13, the Lord shows up in a bush that's engulfed in flames, but it's not destroyed by the fire. And Moses is like, that's weird, because every other fire I've seen, it engulfs the bush or the tree. And God says, yeah, because I am is here. And he says his name, I am. And that name shares the character, and so then he tells Moses, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground, you need to go and tell Israel to get out of Egypt. I don't know why they're still there, they're enslaved, we're going to set them free. And so then Moses goes. God knew why they were there, but when Moses goes, they, the Israelites tell him, no, we're still slaves, we've got to go be slaves tomorrow, which is like jaw-dropping, because I'm always in the future, it's like, well, I don't know how we're getting out of here, God said, let's leave, let's leave. And so they know that Moses knew the character, and he went in boldness and told them that. But because Israel didn't know the character of God, all they knew was they were enslaved. And they're like, look at our, we're slaves. We have to go be slaves tomorrow. I got to go be slaves. But Moses knew the character of God. Because he knew the character of God, he went in the boldness of God and told Israel, we can just leave. Because I met I am. James 2.19. James is Jesus' brother. And he's talking about the church, he's writing to him, and he's like, look, I understand you have good theology, you believe there's one God and three persons, the Trinity, 
That's good. He says in James 2.19, I'm good on you for having good theology. The demons also believe there's one God in three persons. You know things about God, but unless you know God, then you're not going to be changed by that. And then James' whole book is about growth. Like, you got to grow. You got to show that you're growing. You got to have fruit coming off the vine. You have to care for the orphans and widows because when you know, that's why there's this tension, and I'm like focusing on the knowing. When you know God, it moves you. Moses met God, knew God, and he went to Egypt and was like, hey, everyone hates me, including my own people, but hey, let's get out of here. I was saying, God, know God, it moves you and it changes you. And so we see here, James is the same way. Hey, you know God, that's great. So the demons, and they're against God. So do you have a demonic faith? Where you, you might be here tolerating a sermon, tolerating things, but really at the end of the day, you're like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to know God because once I know God, then God changes me and God's in me and now I have to surrender everything to build his kingdom, not my own. That's viable. There's probably some people here who don't want to know God because you have your own agenda and your own kingdom you're trying to build and God's going to take all of that. It's going to cost you. There's no accident that throughout the gospel, Jesus is not only referred to the work he was empowered to do by God's name, but also that people should believe in his name. And that's why every religion says Jesus isn't God. Every religion says Jesus is a God, and you can also be a God, or that he's a good teacher. Because once you take Jesus' deity away, then you don't have, you can have a demonic faith and it's appropriate, it's fine. Because you can live your own life your own way and there's no authority in Jesus' name. There's no more authority in his name than anyone else. There's no authority for salvation and eternal life. It's all works-based again. But if it's not works-based, if Jesus has the authority and he says, hey, believe in me and you'll be saved, that flips everything upside down. To know God, to know God is to be transformed from death to life. It's this grace that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. By grace you've been saved, not of works. By grace through faith. But by grace you were transformed from death to life so you could put your faith you could believe in knowing God and have eternal life. And that experience cannot happen any other way. It can't happen by works. And so the bottom line in your notes, to know God is to be transformed from death to life. That could not otherwise be experienced. It's this knowing God. It's this experiential, intimate relationship. Knowing that Jesus is God. In verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And our second point is knowing Jesus is God, is eternal life. So knowing God's name is eternal life, and knowing Jesus is God is eternal life. Because the glorification of the Son involves the glorification of God. God is clothed in splendor, and the eyes of those who see what has been achieved by God in the cross, resurrection, exaltation of his Son. As we see in verse 3 here, this is eternal life. They know you, the only true God. They know you. To see God's glory, to understand that our perception and our perspective of God has positively been influenced, the glory of God, that's giving glory. 
And when we put focus and our attention on God, and we see the opportunities we have, now that we have obtained eternal life, that then to give glory to God is to do the same for others. And say, don't look at me, look at what Jesus did in me. Don't look at me, look at what God did through me. I was a mess before. That's why Jesus said, hey, every day, take up your cross and follow me. Because he doesn't want us to be proud and say, oh, look at all that I've done. I got God's grace. He gave me free eternal life. Now I got my life figured out, and now I can handle it from here. Thanks, God. And I'll tell other people how to live their lives. That's why James is like, no, humbly, you believe there's one God good. The demons believe that, but arrogantly they go against God. Are you going to be arrogantly to take the blessings from God and use them for your benefit? Because eternal life turns on nothing more and nothing less than knowledge of God, which anyone that God brings from death to life can see and believe and receive. That's it. It's simple. It's as easy as drinking water. So eternal life is not so much everlasting life as it is personal knowledge of the everlasting one. Because we are eternal beings. Our soul will last forever. Some will have their souls with God in heaven and their resurrected bodies forever. Or those who reject God and go against God are going to join their fellow comrades in hell because they chose to live their lives against God. And this is knowledge of the only true God. John 5, 44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We would love to have the glory and praise and have everyone say, hey, look at that person. Look how well they're doing. Look at their accomplishments and achievements. Emulate their lives and how, what they're doing. And we want to receive that glory. But instead, we should be seeking the glory of God and building his kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned, from, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We've been talking about our series through faith, looking at how Hebrews mentions all these faith figures and heroes of the faith. And so much of it was revealed, especially in Gideon, where there's idol worship. When our hearts turn good things into things, we start worshiping or looking at these good things, often that God gave us, to bring us satisfaction or meaning or purpose. And we start putting glory and we start telling other people, hey, positively, this is what brings me satisfaction or this is what I'm into. Look at what I've accomplished. And we start worshiping those things and anything can be an idol. And our culture is pervasive with sports, diners, fast food, clothing, entertainment, luxury sports, you know? It's like we can't invent enough. It's like, yeah, cornhole's already old news. We have other stuff. And I saw someone like threw a dart at a, at a can, I think a beer or something, at a drink. I'm like, dude, every day there's like a new backyard, like, oh, we're bored of throwing ping pong balls into cups. Let's invent something else. And we should probably drink a lot of water or other stuff that makes us even harder to do the sport. And let's throw a ring on a Like there's so many luxury things. We're so bored. We have to create other things to try and entertain us because we're so bored with the things we just invented to entertain us. And we're constantly trying to give glory to each other. And God's like, um, the guy that created you, the guy that saved you, you're going to look at me at all? Nope. Okay. Look at the world around you. It's falling apart. 1 John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come 
has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Great minds who think deeply and long into knowing God and what that means. C.S. Lewis was questioned about aliens, and I love his response. He was like, I'm way more concerned about a galaxy or a world that God created, and they never sinned. And they know God intimately, experientially, so deep and so profound and so right, and there's no sin separating them. And why would they want to come here? Like, if there are aliens that are so advanced and intelligent, why would they want to come to an earth that's so full of sin and depravity, and every 10 to 20 years, everything's falling apart, there's floods, there's all these chaos, and nothing's working, everything's broken. What? No, they don't want to come here. They're good there. And it was brilliant, because we need a Savior. We need to know the God that created this, and how to get us to know Him and save us from our mess. And it's never going to work. If you read your Bible, God said, don't put presidents and kings, don't look to them, look to me. And they said, but Israel and Mexico and Canada, they seem to be doing a good job. We want one. And God's like, no. And they said, yes. And God said, no. And we've been with two-year-olds, right? No, it's bad for you, but I want to eat the Tide Pod. I think the rat poison is going to taste good. No. But my neighbor did it. Ah, poison control was there. I know. And then they got to go to in and out after, and everyone was celebrating that he's alive. I want that experience. No! Just look at God. Know me. I gave you everything. It's not enough. I want to go to in and out and have a shake. Ah, that's what we do. That's why John's like, look at Jesus. He's God. He came so that you would know God. You can't know him because you're spiritually dead. And to be frank, our brains aren't that smart. C.S. Lewis had a crazy smart brain, and then he decided to get super wrapped up in the spiritual, occult, mysticism, crazy, demonic stuff, and then had this amazing conversation with J.R. Tolkien that was like, hey, if you're so smart, where did the smarts come from? Had to be a beginning, right? God gave you that. Stop using it for your own glory and start using it for God's glory. And that was the beginning of God's conversion that saved him. There's one true God who supremely revealed himself in the person of his son. John 1.18, knowledge of God cannot be divorced from knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where the cults, that's where religion, that's where he always want to take Jesus out because if he's such a good person and he's such a good teacher, then he's God, which means he has authority over your life. But we're okay as long as he's a good person and a good teacher but once he's God, now I have to submit to him. And we all have problems with submitting to authority. We all have problems with submitting to the knowledge of God when we can't fully understand certain things about God, the Trinity namely. We just know that's a truth. We can't fully just put it on a shelf and grasp it. But the knowledge of God and of Jesus is not merely intellectual or information, but the gospel is what gives us access. We acquire this inheritance, this standing before God. It's this great exchange where the sinless Savior exchanges his standing before God for, for the sinful men and women and exchanges it. So now we're perfect and right in God's sight, and, and Jesus takes the wrath of God on him. 
And the knowledge that Jesus did that gives us that eternal life, gives us that relationship with God. So as we see, God's people are destroyed. God's people are constantly destroyed over and over and over through the Old Testament because of one thing. They don't know God. They've turned to idols. They turn to the things they create with their own hands. They turn to their own kingdoms. They turn to their own inheritance they get from their earthly father. In Hosea 4, 6, God's people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. God's people are saved with knowledge of God. And Habakkuk foresees a time when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2, 14. Every time that, that Israel would abandon and they'd go worship idols and worship their own hands works. Then someone would find a scroll and they're like, hey, read this. And they'd open it up and they'd read it. And then everyone would weep and there'd be a time of mourning because they'd read God's word and they'd realize we don't know God. We don't know what to do. We've just been copying other people's Facebook posts and other people's itineraries for vacations and job successes. And we've been reading all the good books, but we haven't turned our hearts to God. We haven't known God. No wonder we've been in such a mess. We are to know him and he will direct our paths. Proverbs 3, 6. The Lord is your life. Deuteronomy 30, 20. To know God is to be transformed from death to life. That could not otherwise be experienced without God giving us life. Spiritually taking what was dead and giving it life. And the third thing, so as we see first, to know the name of God is eternal life. And two, knowing Jesus is God is eternal life. And then the third thing is knowing God's transforming power to grant us eternal life. Verse four, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. God's transforming power to grant us eternal life. Jesus was on the earth for 33 years, three years doing ministry, doing work. And this is before he is betrayed and crucified. Right before, the work that God gave him to do. Bringing glory to God. Influencing positively the perspective of Israel of who God is. Not the Pharisees saying, yeah, keep on oppressing and pushing people out who, who don't look good enough, who aren't. No, it's knowing God so the transforming power can grant you eternal life. So many people when I invite them, and I'm sure you've had the experience, hey, come to church, it's great. No one's like, oh, the pastor preaches too long. Never has anyone said that. Maybe if they were honest, they would. But most of the honest responses are, I'm going to be judged. I don't dress like the pastor. I don't dress like half of you, which today would probably be wrong. Um, I don't talk like. I don't think like. They go right to grow. It's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm not even that good. Like, I don't dress that good almost. Come, calm down. Just come. And they're so afraid of not growing fast enough or running fast enough or doing the right things because that's how they've been experienced, God's people. is a heavy-handed, a harsh, you're not good enough, you don't look the part, you don't fit in. Instead of, hey, come know, know God. And that's what Jesus did for 33 years. Three years intentionally bringing people who weren't good enough, who didn't make the cut in the religious system, and said, these people can know me. And, and the woman who can't come get water except in the middle of the day because of her history, she, she can know me. And, and the woman caught in adultery and, and the men 
who, who are literally pushed out by society because they can't build their own kingdom because a rock crushed his hand. I'll restore his hand on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to help people. I'll help people. Because of the religious cultural system you put up to not help people, I'm going to help people know me. That's what Jesus' work was to do. And so much of religion puts a cross up. Of course, your non-Christian friends are going to be like, I'm not going to church. I can't die on the cross. Yeah, me neither. But that's what we do. We're like, look, be like Jesus, die for people. We're like, whoa, geez, I just wanted to come like fix my budget or my marriage. Like we're talking about death now? Like this is getting crazy. And the pastor keeps bringing up communion every week. Here's the reality. Jesus said, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do to serve people, to lead people to God. And then he's going to seal it. He's going to finish it on the cross, which blows my mind. Every time I read that, I'm like, oh, yeah. It's easy for us, because we're so familiar with it, to, to, to put it together. Instead of going, the work was those three years, and the finished work was the cross. Because he couldn't go on the cross unless he was sinless, unless he served and he fulfilled the law. All of the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't just come and go, you Jews are so stupid. What are you doing all that? He said, yes, yes, let's do it. Let's keep the Sabbath. Let's do these things. But I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If someone's hungry, you can eat, even if you're walking through a field. If someone has a broken, messed up hand and they can't provide for their family, we can heal them on the Sabbath. We, We can do that thing. And so Jesus accomplished that work and sealed it because he was God. He was perfect, without sin, tempted in every way we are, being the perfect sacrifice to stand in our place and take the wrath of God that was on you and me. On that day, he finished it. And since we know God, we know Jesus, the craziest thing, this atonement that he covered sin, is he didn't just cover sin for those who looked on the cross that day. It went back all the way to Abraham, and it goes forward all the way to us and then takes us where we're at today and goes back all the way to when we were born and goes forward all the way until we're taking our last breath because right now, right now where we are today, we sinned yesterday and we're probably gonna sin in a few hours and maybe tomorrow. And so there has to be enough grace, there has to be enough forgiveness to cover all of that sin and make a payment that powerful, which then would transform us Because when we see Jesus opening this prayer, he says, glorify me so that I could glorify you. You gave me the authority. You gave me the work to do, and I did it. In verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people. Gave glory, right? I've positively influenced. I've positively spread your name to all the people. You gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Going on to verse 6. But verse 5, he says, and now... Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in us and that knowledge and eternal life, the Holy Spirit's in us pushing sin out of us. I want you to see that image. I'm not a patient person and we got... um, one of those fancy fridges a while back that has the filter and the water in there. It's like 2020. It's the best thing ever. You get a water line, you just cold water, except when it's a million degrees out or 110. It's kind of hot. But our filtered water that we, we used, the old fridge we used to have was so slow. 
I would like lose my mind. I was dying of thirst, you know, and you get your water bottle under there and it's like a little bit faster than droplets dropping in. And I go to my friend's house and even my sister-in-law had the same brand, but somehow it was a thousand times faster. Like it, the cup would overflow with water because I was like, whoa, I wasn't used to, usually I could stick it under there, like read my Bible, study for the day, like call a couple people, get a conversation going with wife and kids. And then I'd maybe have half a, you know, half a cup. Like it was so slow and I was so impatient, like problems, right? Living in the U.S. But you go somewhere else, you're like, that filled up so fast. That was awesome. And the ice is colder. It's true. You got warm ice. It's rough. It just melts like that. So we want that. And spiritually, you look at people who have that kind of a experience with God. And it's like, man, I was a heroin addict in New York City, and this guy walked by and just mentioned Jesus' name, and boom, sober, clean. I preach the gospel of the world. You don't need to go see a doctor. You just hear the name of Jesus. You're saved. You're clean. You're, it's like, wow, that's a fast, like, filtered water fill up. The ice was way colder for you. Like, my ice melts in 10 seconds, and I have a third of a cup full of water. How long is it going to take for me to get that kind of fill up? And we do that with other people, and we compare, and you go, wait, you know God, and that's how fast you got filled with the Holy Spirit and how fast sin got pushed out of your life. I feel like it's a little different experience for me. I feel like knowing God, I get that, and I know the Holy Spirit's, oh, I need to fill up every day with the Word. And certain people, it's a little bit slower, and it takes your lifetime. And it's five times a day you're at CR and, and meeting with people and going, man, I'm tempted. I just can't kick this habit. I'm just struggling. It's so hard. I keep snapping at my husband or I keep just being angry with my wife and the kids. And I just, this thing I'm trying to submit to God, I just, oh, it's so hard to let go of. And the Holy Spirit fills us and pushes that sin out of us. That's the growth that we're getting into. But the only way we can experience that is if we know God. And it's an amazing picture, and I felt like I needed to, to share that and challenge us with that, is say, it's on God's timing, but he's promised to do that for us. And so as we know him, it's his desires, it's his thoughts, it's his actions that he starts to transform us from the inside out to do. And so if we allow his spirit to do that, to fill us, to control us, oftentimes the reason that it's not happening isn't because God's unwilling, it's because you are. It's because you're you're just pulling your cup out from the, the dispenser at the fridge going, why isn't it filling up fast enough? It's like, well, just hold it on there and be patient. Just stick it under there, and you can't just spend two minutes in the Word and expect God to fill you up and push sin out of your life. Some people have that experience, but most of the time, it's you have to stay consistently submitted to Jesus, to knowing Him, knowing God. Every single day, many times throughout the day, for a long time, God would spend time with God. Jesus would leave his disciples, leave his work, leave the needs to go be filled up by the Father, and then he could go pour out again. And just, hey God, hey God I'll, I'll check in with you in a couple weeks. Okay, we're good, we're good. And go pour, 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 pour. No, he had to remain filled up. And physically, it's the same for us. If we know God, that's eternal life, but are we full of eternal life to flow into the lives of others? Because Jesus had the distractions, he had the desires, he had the opportunity, but he remained focused on the mission to lead people to God, to glorify God, not himself in the flesh. So Christ's example of prayer, are we praying for God's work in us to stay humble? And it's like, wait, Jesus did lead people to him because he's God. Yes, 
knowing God, but not the, the human works that he was doing. As so often they grabbed him and wanted to make him president or leader of the Jewish nation. He's like, nope, I'm not president, I'm savior, I'm king of kings over presidents. In the hierarchy, it's actually better to be savior and God. So just hang out, I'll save you, just give me a couple years. That was Jesus like, oh, no, not yet. Like you guys are still thinking humanly, you're not knowing me as your savior. And so the question is, are we humbly coming to God saying, okay, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna let you fill me up with your spirit. Maybe not as fast, maybe not as evident as I want or hope, but I'm gonna be humble to submit under you and let you work in your timing, giving me the gifts that you want me to have. So are we humbly submitting to his work and timing, knowing he's God, knowing he's moved us from death to life, transformed us, not what you want, but what he wants. And I'm, time and time again, I'm always humble and I pray for those who, who have a spouse who's not there yet or who's, who's not believing in, in Jesus because the spouse that is believing, the, the, time and, the testimony of time and prayer and pursuing Jesus saying, you gotta save him. You gotta take him from death to life. I'm praying, I'm humbly submitting. It's all you, God, it's not me. That's humility at its finest because so often, I know I'm not patient, and, and my wife, when she knows what needs to get done, she's like, here's the plan, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, perfect, let's go. It would be so hard. Different personalities, but it's God's plan, and it's his work. Stay faithful in prayer. In your work, in your, in your role, are you an employee? Are you a leader? Are you a, a boss? Are you humbly coming to God saying, hey, how am I gonna use this? I know you, I have eternal life, but how am I gonna use this and do the work you've called me to do? How am I gonna show others the work you've done in me? Your marriage, your spouse, how are you praying for them? How are you serving them? How are you humbly putting their needs before your own? Your friends, how are you talking to them and sharing about what God's done in your life and how are you putting their needs and helping them grow? Because it's one thing to read about Jesus, pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you up, but are we sharing about what Jesus has done in our lives? You know, that's a crazy perspective, thinking about Jesus saying, take up your cross daily, not just be willing to die for Christ, but are you living for Christ saying, hey, this is what Jesus is changing in me and it hurts. That freak an unbeliever out. Like, what? You're like actually doing what Jesus told you to do? Yeah, I don't just go to church on Sunday. I actually do what Jesus told me to do and I don't like it, but God's given me the power to do it. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I just thought people go to church on Sunday, but they get drunk on Friday like everyone else in the world. And they live how everyone else lives. And they talk about how everyone else talks. But you're not living like, you're living like Jesus. You're talking more and more about following Jesus. And your, your actions are actually starting to look a lot more like Jesus. But that all starts with knowing God and continually knowing God, renewing your mind with God's word. So the, the biggest thing and why we don't know God, really, why we, we, we act like we know God, but we're just demon Christians, because we have a demonic faith, we, we know there's God, but we're against him, is because we're pursuing our own glory and our own kingdom. Why you're not a good mom or dad is because you're trying to build your kingdom, and that's why you get mad at your kids, because they don't know how your kingdom should be built or managed. And you're mad because they're too loud in your kingdom, or they're too messy in your kingdom. And really, if you go, hey, it's God's glory. I need to help my son or daughter know God. So what's the one thing I can talk to them about? Not the thousand things you need changed overnight, you know, filling up your cup real quick. It's okay, we're gonna work on this one thing. Hey, how am I gonna come in 
and seek God's kingdom, not my own? What are the things that I'm doing with my time that God, as is, is my father, is looking at me going, hey, you're doing all this stuff with all the time I gave you for you. And here's what I've called you to do. Are you building my kingdom? Are you pursuing my glory as Jesus started out? Know me, know my glory. Talk about him and talk about what he's done in your life, not what you've done. It's so easy. I always catch myself when I was learning how to be a leader and, and talk with people. It's so easy to talk myself. There's so many amazing things I could tell you, and I'm sure you're dying to hear all about. No, you're not. You're like, dude, I don't care about you. I have all these problems, and I'm pretty cool. I'm actually better than you at golf and surfing, so I can actually teach you some things. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm actually, that's true. I could learn from people. But think about it. When we put ourselves in God's shoes, he wants us to tell everyone about him, and he actually deserves the glory, not us. So to know God is to be transformed from death to life. To know God is to be transformed from death to life, which brings up the gospel. Are you transformed from death to life? Are you saved? Because there's no way to know God unless he transforms you from death to life. So to know God is to be transformed from death to life that could, know, that could not otherwise be experienced. You can't know God unless you've been transformed from death to life. On a Sunday on October 8, 1871, uh, D.L. Moody was wrapping up a sermon, and, and he heard the fire bells ringing in Chicago, and he's like, oh man, this is crazy, because the bells normally go on, and then go off, and the fire's out, and it happened all the time, because they made their city out of wood, um, primarily, and so, so he's like, man, it's, fire bells are going off for a long time, I'm really concerned about my family, we've got to get out of here, take care of our families, so guys, think about Jesus, is your relationship right with Jesus. Do you believe in him as your savior? Think about this week. They want to push you, pressure you. Come back next Sunday. We'll talk about it. Give you an opportunity to believe. So they run home, take care of their families. Deal Moody gets his family to safety and they spend the next couple days till about Wednesday till the fire dies down um, helping families. And the following Sunday, that fire had devastated Chicago and, and many of the families that were in church the prior Sunday died in the fire. So D.L. Moody said, I've never since dared to give an audience a week to think about their salvation, to think about if they know God. I've never seen that congregation since, nor will I ever see them until eternity. But I want to tell you one of the lessons I learned that night, he said, which I've never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there, and try to bring them to a spot where they can decide. I would rather have the right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. You think about that in our own lives, it's so easy and so often we do that with Jesus. Hey, maybe next week I'll talk about what I'm gonna do with Jesus. I know you told me to do this, but I'm gonna do this even as believers. We claim to know God and we're not knowing him and saying it's your glory, it's your kingdom. The tension is we try and go past the gospel as Dion Moody realized, man, I, there's, there's no going past the gospel anymore. There's no passing on or next week we'll revisit the gospel. It's only pushing on deeper into the gospel. And it's always saying we, we all started here, we all start here and maybe we're coming back around because we, we got off track and we're starting again knowing God and we're gonna push deeper into the gospel. We're gonna ask the question, am I going to obey 
by allowing God's love to flow through me today and fill in the blank. How are you going to obey by allowing God's love to flow through you? Because as we know God, his love flows through us and we're to bring glory to God by positively influencing those around us about what God's done in our lives. So how are you going to do that? Is it praying for a spouse? Is it praying for your kids? Going, man, there's a thousand things I need changed in this two-year-old tomorrow. We're going to bring it to your feet and we're going to focus on this one thing. There's all these things that are happening in different stages and ages of my family and we, okay, here. Here's the three things we're going to do and I'm going to pray and I'm going to address them one by one. Here's the financial challenges. Here's the work place environment. Here's the one thing that God's calling me to do, to go share the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor. And here's an opportunity that God's open. I'm going to pray about it today. Or maybe it's something in your heart, in your life, where God's saying, yep, you're about your own glory. Your kingdom way over here. Let's get you back in line with my glory, my kingdom. So as we give you an opportunity for the believers who've already said yes to Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, I believe. Don't wait today. Today might be the day where you're going, you know, I've tried to do it alone. Maybe you've tried to do it with Jesus. I think that's a great distinction is it, no, it's either all for his glory or not at all. It's not, I'm going to do it with Jesus. 60, 40. I got this 60% of the time. Every once in a while, I kind of need his help 50% of the time. No, it's, it's all for Jesus. It's not with him. It's for him, by him, through him, and to him is the glory, as Paul says. So the question for the believer here is, am I going to obey by allowing God's love to flow through me today. Pray over that. And for the unbeliever, may this be the day where you say, I believe and I'm saved. Don't wait any longer. I'll come up and and close this in a minute.